CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. More than a century ago, Alonzo Franklin Herndon founded what would become Atlanta Life Insurance Company. A sharecropper and former slave, Herndon founded the business with a $140 investment. His sales staff went door to door from town to town in suits and ties, selling Atlanta Life Insurance to Southern black communities. A public art project called Windows Speak brings leaders of that institution back to the street. It's on display now at the original Atlanta Life Insurance office buildings on Auburn Avenue. Amalia Amaki curated the project. She's an artist, art historian, and writer, and joins me in the studio. Welcome. Thank you. Thank well, you so much. I'm curious about this guy, the Atlanta Life founder, Alonzo Franklin Herndon. What was his background? Well, personally, what intrigues me about him is he always had a very strong business sense. Before Atlanta Life Insurance Company was founded, uh, he had a barbershop. But it was a it was a barbershop that, by today's standards, we would call uh, something of a, a um, almost a male spa salon. What I really like about Alonzo Herndon is he always thought big, uh, regardless of his modest beginnings. He was a man of vision, and he always thought big, and he knew if there was a gap in services. For African Americans, there was an opportunity, and and he saw it. I think not just as a way to financially take care of himself and his family, but it was a way of being a contributing community member. So, how did he come from barber to life insurance? I think he saw a void. There was a void there. That gap you mentioned. That gap, mm-hmm. and he knew there was a a relatively active, vibrant, thriving black community in Atlanta, and particularly in Fourth Ward. And and as I said, I think he thought beyond just the business advantages of it. Here's a here's a community that he can contribute to making even more vibrant, even more economically stable. Uh, he's building this company at a time when money in Fourth Ward would circulate in Fourth Ward at least six times mm-hmm. before it went outside of that community. Which has changed dramatically yes. since then. Yes. Well, what was? I mean, this is the turn of the century when mm-hmm. he started this business. Paint a picture of Auburn Avenue at that time. Well, Auburn at the time, it was already, already showing, as I call it, promise. Mm-hmm. Tremendous amount of promise. You had uh, beauty shops, you had restaurants, you had churches, and you had people that lived along the corridor. Uh, These were, for the most part, people who were either uh, educated or made certain that their children were. Mm 
So you had a certain attitude on the street. And it's not a surprise to me that Fortune magazine called Auburn Avenue the richest black street in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, the first self-made millionaire first self-made in the black millionaire. community. Right. Yes. Well, this is, but they suffered some setbacks. This was in 1906 when yeah. the offices of Atlanta Life were destroyed Story. in the Atlanta race riots. What was going on? Well, to candidly put it, Georgia is still Georgia and, and at this time. And, and there is uh, some animosity, I think it's the best word to Especially use. Especially there, there was a growing black Bec- middle class. Because there was this, this growing black middle class. And you had, in that community, you had per capita incomes that exceeded those of some of the communities that were all white. Mm-hmm. So there, there there, was some concern about that. And I think because uh, Auburn was so strategically located, you know, Auburn is just in the shadows of downtown. So it, it was not a community that could be dismissed or overlooked. Uh, so there, there were there were things already in place. The there, there was Atlanta was playing a critical part in the conversations that led to the evolution of the NAACP through leaders like people like Herndon. Uh, Atlanta was a participant, I would say, a voice. There were voices that came out of of this community that were on the forefront of, of saying some some kind of radical things about what needed to be done in in, in the face of, of denials and, and oppression and that sort of thing. And I, and I think because of the, uh, even the presence of the Atlanta University Center and the voices that were coming out of that center, some of whom lived in that district, uh, it was it was not a community that was taken lightly by this time. And I think it was becoming a force in America. Well, and that's the thing there. And during mm-hmm. that riot, the main target was not people, but property, property. which mm-hmm. is very telling. But at the time, also, the Atlanta Life website now says that Herndon salesmen were possibly the only black men wearing suits and ties around the South at the time. In Atlanta, they certainly were, but maybe not out in the rest of the countryside, which were his customers. What kind of message was he wanting to send? Well, Herndon, Alonzo and Norris, they were always what we call classy or snappy dressers. And they very much advanced this idea that they were not just businessmen, but that they were of the highest profession of businessmen. And this was something that really carried over throughout the African-American communities. You had uh, musicians performing in tuxedos. And so this was this was kind of a way of saying, you know, we are a certain kind of people, despite you know, the Jim Crow laws and, and the situations in our communities, we are a certain kind of people. And he, he very much advanced that for many, many years, Atlanta life salesmen were required to be well-dressed. I'm speaking with Amalia Amaki. She's an artist, an art historian, writer, and now curator of the Windows Speak Project, which mm-hmm. is a public photography and history exhibit on Auburn Avenue. If we walk past the original Atlanta Life building Mm -hmm. on Auburn Avenue right now, what or who will we see? Well, you will will see the first three presidents 
the the founder, Alonzo Herndon, his son, and uh, Jesse Hill. And they are really the rocks of the of the leadership foundation of that of that company. There's also uh, the face of which I think it's is critical. There's the face of Henrietta Antonine. Henrietta Antonine is the only face that's on that uh, presentation that's still with us. But here is a woman who who started out, I believe, as a clerk and worked her way up to be uh, vice president and head of public relations and was essentially the right arm of Jesse Hill. He entrusted her to do the programs that he wanted to advance. 46-year history with that company. It's, that's a that's an amazing story. She, by the way, when she saw the windows, uh, she teared up. She literally teared up. She said, you know, this is, this is a very emotional moment for me well, to see these people. Who she worked with. Yes. And this is a permanent part of the facade yeah. Yeah, that you've done. The exhibit is called Windows Speak. Mm-hmm. What are they saying, or or what do you what do you want well, them to say to viewers? You know, I wanted faces in those windows, metaphorically, for a number of reasons. Number one, I wanted people to, whether they're driving by or walking by, to see those faces and remember what that company was, what it meant to Auburn Avenue, what it meant to Atlanta, what it meant to the. Uh, community, that's the Auburn District, what it meant to what was known as Fourth Ward at the time that that the buildings were erected, but also to think about what they represent collectively. They they represented uh, a thriving African-American community that really said to the world, if left alone to do our work, we do it as well as anyone else. And and I also think that metaphorically they are reminders that the roots of that place is something that was a it, it wasn't just a business, it was a campus. Herndon Plaza was a campus. Uh they had all sorts of social events, civic events, political events that they opened their doors to and, and welcomed the community in, in to, to sort of partner with them and, and, and make the community stronger, make the community more open, and make the community a community that had a voice. So it, it represents a lot. I also wanted faces because I wanted to metaphorically say, you know, we're, we're looking out. We're looking out because uh, the latest building in the plaza no longer belongs to Atlanta Life. It no longer belongs to uh, an, the Auburn preservation efforts. But those faces are looking out and still looking out for that building. So metaphorically, I think they mean a lot. That community, that street, mm-hmm. that corridor uh, has taken some hits yes. in, in recent decades, especially after integration when people sort of moved out because they could. The Atlanta Life itself moved in 2012, sold its its headquarters on Auburn Avenue and moved to 191 Peach Street, mm-hmm. just, just around the corner, around the corner. pretty <laughs> much. But it was really an important place. Earlier this month, Governor Brian Kemp signed into law new protections for Confederate monuments. Do you think there are protections needed for monuments to black and civil rights history as well? Absolutely. And the issue I have with 
with Mr. Kemp in, in efforts like that is there are African Americans whose existence in this state precede the Civil War as well. And those individuals are citizens of this state and should be respected equally. Uh, Confederate, Confederate imagery came at a certain time in our history. It's not in the roots of the beginning of the state of Georgia, and he needs to be educated to that. In no uncertain terms yes, there. So why put this on Auburn Avenue? We see now there's a beautiful mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta in the Civil Rights Movement, 1944 to 1968, stretching across miles, right. east and west side of the Beltline. It's the longest outdoor exhibition on civil and human rights history in the U.S. Amazing pictures and a vivid mm -hmm. portrait. Why put window speak on Auburn Avenue? Because Auburn is still an important point of beginning for a lot of things that happened in that civil rights era. Um, I, I wonder how effective Atlanta participation would have been in the civil rights era if not for the groundwork that was firmly established along Auburn Avenue. And I think that's why there is a very serious effort now for those of us who, who respect that history and who are learning it or relearning it uh, to do something about what's happening on Auburn Avenue. It, and it's not just important as a street for African-Americans. It's really important as a street for the city of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, as a city, I think, benefits from knowing this history. And and one of the reasons that I think it's important that that uh, Sweet Auburn Works and, and other organizations are working so hard to preserve and, and, and sort of reiterate that history is we have generations of people who don't know it. They don't know how important that Carter has been historically to the city of Atlanta. Uh, they don't know it. And it's important to know that. And I, I believe that once that knowledge is more freely available, that people will come to understand there have been some tremendously important developments that occurred along that corridor that not only the city has benefited from, but the whole state of Georgia. Well, now we have little shops like the For Keeps Bookshop yes. there on Auburn mm -hmm. Avenue. Young people kind of investing, putting their energy and money and time into recreating an atmosphere that people right. want to come to. And and that's the, you, you know, I think you've hit on it. It's, it's, it's doing things. Uh, the building for itself, you know, is brick and mortar. And that in and of itself is not exciting. But what people can do, and that's another reason why I wanted faces on those windows, is people that can put the sugar back in it and make it sweet again. It's, 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 it's people. And I'm hoping that the efforts of the organizations like Sweet Auburn Works will inspire uh, younger people to want to do exciting things. Uh, along that along that corridor, Auburn. I, I I don't remember this. I have to be honest. I don't remember this. But I grew up under the voice of parents who talked incessantly about what it was like on Auburn Avenue when they were young, 
and how sometimes you would just walk the street because you wanted to see who the performer was that was coming into town to to uh, sing at the Royal Peacock. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to get a glimpse of 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 uh, um, I remember my dad saying, "You just want to get a glimpse of Jackie Wilson or 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 whoever was performing that night," and and you would go over to. Uh, uh, some of the restaurants just to see who was eating dinner there. And, you know, there was a a, a motor uh, motel uh, off Auburn, and that's where they had to stay because of segregation. And so he said sometimes you just walk in as if you're going to uh, get a room just to see who was in there. So it, it was a very exciting street life. Street life, yes. Yes. It was it, animated. Yes. Well, short of you stopping people and tapping them on the shoulder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think once once there is this investment in, in in the buildings, you know, having the buildings, that's that's a first step. Breathing life into the buildings, that's what I think is going to do it. And and I'm hoping that that's not too far in the future for, for Auburn. Well, you're doing Everybody. it right now. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you. That is the artist, art historian, mm-hmm. and curator Amalia Amaki. Her most recent project is the Windows Speak exhibit, and you can see it on display now at the Atlanta Life Building at 148 Auburn Avenue in Atlanta. And, of course, you can see pictures of it online. Mm-hmm. Go to gpbnews.org. That is it for today. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton Rowell, and the Raven Taylor. Jesse Neiswanger is our engineer. Don Smith, our dean of grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. And Sarah Shariari is managing editor for GPB News. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for listening to On Second Thought. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.